0: Welcome to episode 8 of our Thirsty Podcast from the future site of Water of Life Lutheran Church of Racine in Caledonia with Wisconsin. I'm Pastor Zarling and I'm here with Pastor Lightning. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit today. We're going to be talking about the end of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, and then get into the three short chapters of the prophet Joel, and then give an introduction and talk about the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, So, Pastor Layton, if you want to talk a little bit about Jonah chapter 4.
1: One of the things that I I can't, again, take credit, I cannot take credit for is um, the thought uh, that I heard one time about the book of Jonah. Uh, Some people think that it might be one of the oldest books of the Old Testament as far as when it was written, not as far as when it happened, but uh, when it was written, And the interesting point that this uh, person brought up that I heard one time was, do you ever hear people talk about how there's the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, and the New Testament God is the gracious, merciful, forgiving God, and the Old Testament God is the ogre who wants to see people annihilated and loves judgment and bloodshed and death. Uh, And this person just made the point that um, the Old Testament, if, if Jonah is indeed one of the oldest books of the Old Testament, as far as when it was written, then um, it's pretty noteworthy and a little bit strange to think of a difference between the Old Testament and New Testament God when chapter 4 ends with Jonah telling God, God, you are being way too nice to people.
0: And what's interesting is, you know, Jonah chapter 4, verse 3 Jonah says, so now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Uh, that Jonah, in the beginning, in chapter 1, did not flee from Nineveh because uh, he was afraid of failure at Nineveh. He was afraid of success, and that's what he says here. Is It's like the prophet Elijah, that Elijah, like Jonah, wanted to die, unlike Elijah However, he was despondent because his ministry seemed to be without effect. That's the way Elijah felt. Jonah wanted to die because his preaching was effective because he knew that Jonah or that God was slow to anger, abounding in mercy, gracious and merciful, which is exactly the key verse in Joel chapter two, verse thirteen. He says uh, Joel says exactly the the same words that. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy.
1: When uh, I took a look at, uh, now this was a while ago, I didn't do this recently, but I I took a look at things that Martin Luther had written about Jonah chapter 4. And one of the things that he said is that uh, in this chapter, you sort of see God playing with Jonah in much the same way that a, a mother or father would Uh, Sort of tease or play with a little child, and and if they're in a you know, if the child is in a a sour mood or is kind of grumpy, that uh, you might try to tease them a little bit and get them to smile. And um, that's kind of what God is here doing with Jonah. In the sermon that I preached on it, uh, I began the sermon by uh, wondering if people ever did this with their uh, kids where they would say, Don't you smile. You better not smile. Don't smile. And and sooner or later, the kid just can't help but crack a smile. And and even though uh, God seems to be dealing very harshly with Jonah here, uh, he is doing it uh, as a loving father. And
0: God is dealing with Jonah like a child. And he uses an object lesson with the vine and then having a worm eat the vine. And I use object lessons almost every Sunday. I do a children's devotion here at church. And uh, Pastor Lightning's little guy who is in preschool here, and he's actually my birthday buddy. We share the same birthday. A couple of weeks ago, I asked the the kids, you know, what are you thinking about, uh, about being in the future? And I was talking about maybe becoming a pastor, a teacher. And his little son said, I'm thinking about being a teacher or a pastor or an ice cream taster. And so you don't understand if you're listening how hard it is for a pastor to be up there and not crack up when you get an answer like that. And I, and I told his son at the end of service while we were uh, dismissing everyone, I said, Andre, you know, the beautiful thing about being a pastor is you can be both a pastor and an ice cream taster.
1: Uh. It, the uh, one thing that is a, a good topic to discuss, and and it's it's always going to be timely, sad, unfortunately, it is always going to be timely, uh, is that uh, we see here in Jonah chapter 4 that, that Jonah was uh, a little bit racist. He was um, th- thinking that his race was superior, or probably more accurate to say that another race was inferior because of what bad people they were. And the Assyrians, the Ninevites, uh, were... Really rotten mean people that uh, had awful ways of uh, treating other other civilizations and and their enemies, um, but uh, the the thing that came to my mind uh, that 's always sort of a question is um, doesn 't it kind of have an awkward ending?
0: yeah, it does have an awkward ending, and I was kind of wondering about that too. you know why does God end it like this is I think he wants us to consider. Our words and actions for us to examine our hearts. But you know what you were saying about Jonah maybe being racist, uh, that he doesn't want to go to another culture. And I liken that again to being on the mission board. And I know of, this probably happens in a lot of our churches, but one I'm thinking of, this seats hundreds and hundreds of people Well, it should seat hundreds and hundreds of people. It seats about a dozen people right now on Sunday mornings. And it was that way before coronavirus, too. And a big portion of that is that the culture around this church that's in the inner city changed. But the church did not change to reach out to that new culture. Now, after years and even decades of struggle... By the grace of God, that dozen people that are still sitting in the pews of that huge church, they are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and they are very mission-minded. They are now reaching out to the different cultures around the church. And that's what I pray for all of you who are listening, that we pray that the Lord of the church blesses our outreach efforts, that we reach outside of our comfort zone, Uh, the people who may not look like us or talk like us, who are not of the same economic background of us. Maybe they're higher or lower than us. And it can be, and it doesn't really matter what our skin color is. It's the same thing of whether we're white or black or Asian or Hispanic or something else. uh, That we need to remember like we said before, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, who brings us all together into the Christian Church, which is made up of every nation, tribe, people, and language.
1: The uh, maybe I, the last point that I wanted to bring up it it has to do with I I'm gonna give a give a shout out to my father in law. Actually, uh, we we had one of these things when we got married that. Uh, my my sister put together, she had all the friends and family uh, make these little cards that uh, you could turn into, she turned them into a flip calendar for each day, and you were supposed to either offer a a memory or a piece of advice uh, for the bride uh, on on our wedding day, and uh, I always liked looking through that, and one of the things that uh, my wife's father wrote for her was, uh, remember that uh people and relationships are much more important than things and programs and uh i i think that's maybe a, a good explanation for the the closing lines of of Jonah that um god is sort of saying Jonah you're so worried about this thing this plant and uh, there, there are other things that are living, uh, the animals, uh, and those are definitely more important than the plants. And you know what's even more important than the animals is the humans. And and yet, what do you see in our society today that uh, our, our materialistic culture thinks that the things and the programs are most important, uh, and then... Maybe comes the, the animal life, and then uh, the last thing that we're concerned about, unfortunately, is the people. But I guess I'll end I'll on a positive note and say, uh, once again, remember Jonah, is, it's a good chance that Jonah was the one who wrote this down. And so he was confessing his sin and, of course, received forgiveness for it.
0: And then I'll end up with this as well, is I want all of you as listeners to examine your own hearts. See where you are like Jonah. You know, why are you not sharing God's compassionate grace with others? Is it laziness, apathy, indifference? Is it busyness or anger? Is it fear? Is it something else? You'll hear this when we get into Joel is return to the Lord, return. And receive God's grace and compassion. Let his love wash over you. Because when you are appreciative of God's grace and compassion for you, for Jesus' sake, then the Holy Spirit moves you to have that same kind of grace and compassion upon others. And so you go out and share that grace and compassion, hopefully without having to be covered with fish vomit first. (laughs) Good point. All right, then we get into Joel. So Joel, we're not really sure when it was, uh, when Joel was prophesying. Uh, It seems to be in Judah, but there's really no reference to a king or a specific time or place. Um, And the prophecy of Joel is going to be focused on a plague of locusts in the first chapter that is God is threatening as judgment upon his people for their willful disobedience and uh, their continued impenitence. And then that locust plague serves as a symbol of the attacks of Judah's enemies in chapter 2. And then the day of the Lord is focused on in chapter 3.
1: The day of the Lord, uh, as you said, and the... uh, the did you did you just mention the locusts? I'm sorry. I did mention. I did mention the locusts. My mind was was elsewhere. I I was thinking of something earlier today. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking of actually is that uh, my students. It has to do with my students. Um, and, I, and I'm going to tie this into Joel, so I don't think this is a, a tangent or a sidebar. Um, uh, but I did tell them that uh, they sort of found out that I was doing this podcast, and and so I wanted to make public recognition of uh, the Christian Church Religion Three Set One. Um, they they wanted me to say hello and and uh, congratulate them on finding out about this podcast. So, uh, hi guys, and I, I
0: find it interesting that. We talk about locusts, and then you're
1: talking about your classmates. Yeah, oh, well, no. Oh, okay. Um, it was not my intent, but uh, no, what I wanted to uh, talk about was uh, that we were, I think it was today, uh, maybe it wasn't set one, but we were discussing um, global warming. Uh, no, 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 it was, it was a different day that uh, they, one of them had their desks turned around, and I said, why is your desk turned around? And they said, oh, there was just a very localized earthquake, <laughs> and and I, I Said, uh, "Well, Jesus said that uh, there will be earthquakes in various places at the end of the world." And then they responded with, uh, "Oh, well, wouldn't that be great if it was Judgment Day?" And yes, yes, it would. Uh, for believers, Judgment Day will be great—a great thing. Uh, and at the same time, the Old Testament prophets and Joel is a good example of this. Uh, th- the they spoke to people who also knew about the Day of the Lord, Judgment Day. And sometimes you get the sense that they were saying, don't be too eager for judgment day to come. Uh, That that you think, oh, this is going to be the end of all my troubles. Uh, It's going to be a pretty scary thing. And it's described in chapter one uh, as a locust plague. And uh, the the thing, maybe you've got a good movie analogy for this, but uh, the picture that you get from reading chapter one is uh, instead of like a sunrise painting the uh, horizon and the whole landscape with light it is locusts the way Joel describes it it is swarms and swarms of bugs that are blocking out the sun and painting the whole landscape with darkness and and that's a that's a creepy a, a really creepy image to to try and grasp i was i was trying to think of uh, do you have any hollywood Analogies Avengers
0: for- Avengers Endgame. The sun is darkened at the end as Thanos and all of his armies are behind him. And you only have the three three heroes, you know, their Trinity of Thor and Captain America and Iron Man. Standing as, as standing this, up against the horde, the swarm of all of Thanos' enemies.
1: I, I was thinking of a and this is certainly I'm not recommending this movie. It's certainly not a family-friendly movie, but uh three hundred uh, talks about Thermopylae and the uh, the Spartans holding off the Persian army. And one of the things that the Persian king said was that, uh, or the ambassador of the Persian king said, uh, "We will blacken out the sky with our arrows," and and then and then the Spartan answers back, "Well, then we'll fight in the shade." There you go. Yeah,
0: you're right. Don't watch that with your little kids. Yeah. That's, not, that's not a family friendly <laughs> movie. What else did you want to talk about with chapter one?
1: Uh, just maybe how he he leaves no stone unturned. Everybody needs to repent. Uh, you you go to the bar. Uh, the, he talks about the drunkards waking up and weeping. Uh, he talks about the children. You need to talk. You need to tell the next generation this is a this is a big deal. The day of the Lord, uh, and it is a scary deal. Um, so so don't. Um, yeah, don't you, you need to take it seriously.
0: And I had told Pastor Leighton, and as we were talking about this before recording, that I wasn't going to give a whole lot of comments on the three chapters of Joel, because I just wanted to focus uh, our attention on Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I preached on this the other night for Ash Wednesday. As Joel writes... Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and grief. Tear your heart and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and he relents from disaster. So the nation of Judah had been willful in their disobedience. They were willful in their impenitence, and God threatened judgment. I think we need to look at our own nation. Are we following the will of God? Are we following the word of God? Uh, Obviously not. You can come up with all kinds of examples of how our nation is away from God. That as a nation, America needs to repent. But before America can repent and return to God, you and I as individual Christians need to repent and return to the Lord. That before we can fix the immorality in our nation, we need to fix the immorality that dwells within our own souls. That God has every right to bring judgment, righteous judgment upon us as individuals and as a nation. Whether it's a plague of locusts followed by a drought like in Joel, or whether it's severe weather like we see in our nation right now, or economic depression, or terrorism, or a war. God has every right to pour out his wrath on us as a nation. What can we do? That was the question that the children of Israel were asking Joel. And Joel gives this answer. He says, return to the Lord so they will be found righteous before the coming and great and terrifying day of the Lord. He says, even now returns the Lord. And I always teach my eighth graders. And seventh graders in catechism class, I said, "You're mature enough to look at those little words that the Holy Spirit puts in there." Even now, those words means that God isn't set on bringing His judgment. There is time for us to come in repentance. And what kind of repentance is He looking for? He wants us to be truly appalled at our sins, because each one of our sins separates us from our loving God that we need to return to him for the most loving of reasons. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Uh, and this invitation is not impersonal. That I think, again, these are key words. Jonah doesn't say, return to the Lord a God. Return to the Lord the God. Return to the Lord everyone's God. Return to the Lord your God, that God wants a personal relationship with you. Come to him with your sins so that you can leave him and live a life of sanctification with Christ's forgiveness washing over you.
1: I I always like to point out that your your God or our God, that there's kind of a possessive nature that God gives himself to us. He is the God who lets himself be owned by us, uh, your God, our God. Um, as I look at chapter two, again, I almost want to read these verses, which you've already heard earlier this week, um, just to set the stage for it. But maybe uh, I can just give you a description like what you would see in the cartoons uh, long ago. It's not the comical kind, but uh, it's like those comics uh, of of yesteryear's cartoons, where you have uh, maybe the Tasmanian devil or uh, a swarm of termites or or bees or something that uh, comes along, and there's this nice garden with rose bushes and and, uh, fence posts, and uh, the chaotic tumult of whatever the bug or the predator is uh, just leaves it bare bones, uh, maybe like uh, and an outhouse gets gets wiped out and there's the person still sitting <laughs> inside of it or something like that, when it says, uh, it describes the locust swarms and it says, in front of them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them it is a desolate wilderness, that's kind of the picture you get. And I, I even though you've already mentioned it, I, I want to come back to verse 12 again because uh, maybe just to ask your opinion on the way I illustrated, I've preached on this twice now. And both times, I kind of said the same thing. Imagine that you've got uh, this, this video image of uh, God just unleashing his fury on people, and, and he's got this enraged face, uh, because he says in verse 11, the Lord shouts at the head of his army. He's the one leading these grasshoppers to destroy his people's property. And then, uh, imagine that that angry face of God is paused and the same guy, uh, God, or uh, maybe pre-incarnate Christ, I don't know, uh, comes and walks out from behind the screen and and kind of looks at that and says, yeah, that's, that's me, but this is also me, even now, uh, declares the Lord, return to me. This, it doesn't have to be this way, what you see up on the screen. I, I'm offering you now a chance to repent.
0: Yeah, and that's a wonderful picture of our God, like you said, where people think that God is all law in the Old Testament and God is love in the New Testament. No, this is God who is law and gospel, who is uh, punishing with wrath and also willing to put his wrath on his son uh, in this prophecy right here in Joel chapters 1, 2, and 3.
1: Uh, Just a little side note, Uh, take a look at verse 16, and uh, you see that it, includes with repentance, gather the children, even those nursing at the breast. Uh, in other words, infants are included in the people that God calls to repent, and and therefore we can also say infants are uh, capable of having faith, uh, and that that would be uh, something appropriate to bring up when you discuss the, the power and efficacy of baptism. And then in that same
0: uh, section there, he talks about the bridegroom and the bride leaving the altar, that everyone is supposed to come and return to the Lord. No one is excluded. The babies at their mother's breast, and those at what they would think is the most important day of their life. Yeah, yeah. Everyone comes to the Lord. No one should be excluded.
1: Imagine telling telling a bride, uh, no, you've got something more important to do today.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and like I said in the sermon the other night, is... God isn't so concerned if your seat is in the pew or in your easy chair in the living room watching online service. What he wants from you is a heart and a mind that have returned to the Lord. Not physical, that you're just mouthing the prayers or uh, sitting there for a sermon. You're putting your offering in the offering plate. He wants all of you, heart, soul, and mind, to
1: return to him. I think it's interesting toward the end of chapter two that... um... Not only does God take pity, but He also gives us uh, uh, earthly blessings. We we, ha- we have it pretty good in this country kind of, for all of the frustrations and uh, uh, s- stresses that we have in our lives. Um, it, God is very gracious to us, even in, even on a physical level. Uh, and and He says to to Joel and the Old Testament, "People, uh, I'll I'll replace all these things that I've taken away in in punishment of you."
0: Then you get into chapter three, and now. Much of this chapter is referred to in the book of Revelation, uh, that this chapter clearly refers to the end when Satan will launch a last-ditch effort to destroy God's people. So to help understand Joel, the the three chapters of Joel, at the beginning of the book, uh, the readers are viewing a local locust plague in Judah. But at the end of the book, readers are viewing the end of this present world and the arrival of the new heavens and the new earth. And there is no clear transition from one event to the other. Is he talking about physical locusts coming on the people? Is he talking about the locusts being represented by the Assyrians and Babylonians that are going to be coming over the walls and into their homes? Or is it uh, the devil and his demons and the rest of his army coming against you? So there's no clear delineation, but just understanding that all three are there at various times and points in these three chapters.
1: Did you before we move on to chapter three? Did you want to talk about Pentecost?
0: Pentecost is good. Yeah, <laughs> I like Pentecost.
1: <laughs> Me too. Uh, it's in verse starting with uh, verse twenty-eight. You have basically the text that Peter used in uh, the book of Acts when he preached his sermon. Uh, he said uh, the things you're seeing and hearing on Pentecost. This is what Joel predicted uh, when he said, after this I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And uh, I I think maybe it it would be easy when you think about Pentecostalism to to think that we're supposed to be looking for supernatural signs when uh, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Uh, And Joel does say, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. even on my, even on the servants, both male and female, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Uh, what Joel is telling us there is, uh, remember, he's talking to Old Testament people who did not have the fullness of God's word written down for them like we do today. And so, uh, the book of Hebrews chapter one tells us that God spoke in many various ways to people long ago, uh, and Joel is predicting. Just like the prophets uh, spoke God's word in these supernatural ways, well, there's going to come a time in the uh, faith of true believers when every person will be able to speak like a prophet. So it's not so much that you have to interpret your dreams or see visions. The important thing is that you are doing the work that uh, that God gave to his church on Pentecost, uh, which uh, Pastor Zarling mentioned before, is, is sharing your faith. Uh, that's just as good as uh, if you had dreamed a dream from God or had a vision from God when you tell people what Christ has done.
0: We focus on Pentecost being the birth, the beginning of the Christian church as God poured out his Holy Spirit. and And I wanted to focus a little bit then on those last verses uh, 28 and following that are part of uh, Joel's prophecy that Jesus, that Peter uses in his Pentecost sermon. And think of you know some of the unique missions that we have in our southeastern Wisconsin district. I'm the district mission board chairman. So our district goes from just north of Milwaukee down through most of Illinois, most of Indiana, and down to Radcliffe, Kentucky. Uh, Uh, near Fort Knox. That's where I had served as a pastor of a mission church for eight years. And just thinking of some of the unique mission work that our congregations in this district are doing, that there's one congregation where they have Japanese people that come and settle in the area for about uh, five years. And so they have a, a preschool just for Japanese students. And then We pray that the Holy Spirit works on those families and they take the gospel back to Japan. Uh, There's another congregation that is very similar that people settle there longer, but now they have a Korean academy that they're bringing in more and more Korean families and students, and then they're teaching the Korean language and culture to the Anglo students. Or another congregation that may look like many of your congregations, And a lot of the people that have moved into that area look similar. They look Anglo, but they're actually very different because they're all Eastern European. And uh, so now this church is trying to figure out how do they reach out to uh, very different people that look the same but have different cultures and languages. And again, so that they can share the gospel with them at their church. And is there a tie back to their Motherland, so that their the rest of their family and friends that are there can also hear the gospel. Because as uh, Joel prophesies and Peter says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we want that gospel to be shared in uh,
1: different places
0: and unique ways.
1: And what is the gospel? Well, it's it's pointing people to the gospel is Jesus, and uh, sharing it is pointing them to Him. Uh, And so I I with, I guess I don't have much more to say on chapter two other than uh, this, that it talks about blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Um, and that could be, of course, talking about uh, supernatural signs at, at the end of ages uh, that are going to come right before the end of the world comes. But I think it's also interesting to consider that uh, for Old Testament Jews and even for people at Jesus' time, uh, what what would that have sounded like? Um, Verse 31 says the sun will be turned to darkness, and uh, that kind of makes you think of what happened on the day that Christ died. The sun was turned to darkness. And then blood, fire, and pillars of smoke, well, yeah, that could be catastrophes or natural disasters, but also it could be what they saw happening in the temple with all the sacrifices that prefigured Christ. Uh, There was bloodshed, there was fire as the sacrifices were burned up, and... Uh, From that altar, there was a constant pillar of smoke rising, Uh, and so that's just another good reminder of uh, Christ's forgiveness and what he came to do.
0: And then moving into Joel chapter 3, this is speaking of a time at the end of the present era when Satan would deceive the nations and lead them to war against the new Jerusalem, uh, Mount Zion. Uh, But God himself will use Satan to summon the nations, God's enemies to battle. When they've gathered in the valley of decision, God will thunder on them and destroy them. And verse 14 just really stuck out to me. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The Hebrew word for decision means to cut or to decide strictly. So The Lord, the just judge, will make known his strictly righteous decision, which will divide all mankind for eternity into two groups that Daniel mentions. There will be a time of distress that has not happened from the first time that there was a nation until that time. At that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone whose name is found written in the book. Many who are sleeping in the dusty ground will awake. And here's the division some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And yet God is going to be a refuge for his people. The Bible teaches that the gospel will go out into the whole world, but then uh, just before the end comes, there's going to be a time of great distress when the nations that were freed go back to serving Satan. And just think of how this is going on in our nation and in other nations around the world right now. We see people clamoring to go back to the darkness. We see them wanting to put back on the chains of Satan. You see, Christian nations that were once formerly free, like Europe and America, now becoming post-Christian or even anti-Christian. And... This prophecy of Joel, which matches up with the prophecies in Daniel and Revelation, uh, God pictures his enemies marching out in staggering numbers against him and his army, but they are soundly and swiftly defeated that the thousand year years ends that are mentioned in Revelation with Christ's second coming and the confinement of Satan and his henchmen to hell.
1: I was just thinking about uh, Revelation as you were talking and then mentioned it, and and all of the different overlaps, uh, the unwillingness of people to repent. You you think of Revelation talking about the diseases and plagues, that uh, even when the diseases and plagues were sent on people, they did not repent. Doesn't that sound a little timely uh, in in our day and age? Uh, But more so on the good news side of it, when it uh says in verse 18 a fountain will flow out of the lord's house uh that kind of makes me think of the um the river of life in revelation um and uh yeah the 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 picture of dividing with the sickle and and rendering a decision or a judgment that's god delivering his verdict now he has delivered his verdict of not guilty over the whole world in christ justifying us uh, but uh, there will there'll come another verdict. It's not a, a decision that he needs to think about to make. It's just a decision he's going to make public. Um, I guess uh, I don't have much more to say about chapter 3 other than uh, maybe verses 10 and 11 sort of show you the other side of a common theme in the Bible. A lot of people like to talk about the, the peacemaking uh, way of putting those two verses and how it says, take your weapons of war and make them into farming tools. Well, this one says the other way around. Uh, take your farming tools and make them into weapons of war. And it's almost like God is challenging them. Uh, See if you can stand up against me. And, uh, of course, they're not going to be able to. Uh, but for those who believe in him, uh, the final verse ends with the good news announcement that... Uh, God will pardon their blood guilt. Even the stuff that he did not pardon before, he'll pardon it now, um, uh, is is a, a good news way of of ending the prophet.
0: Right, and that, that last line there, that no matter what happens in our world, no matter what you're going through, no matter how cold you are this week, uh, we have huge icicles at our house. Uh, we have to uh, rake off our... Our roof this week, this weekend. Uh, We've got three, four foot icicles hanging off our school building and all the stuff that any of us are going through. And yet, as we may face persecution individually and as a Christian church in America, these words are so important. The Lord dwells in Zion. No matter what happens, the Lord will always be what he's doing right now. He dwells in Zion. Now, let's move on to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, 1 Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, About 20 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, uh, Paul began his second missionary journey. About 51 AD, God guided Paul and his missionary companions Silas, Timothy, and Luke to cross over from Troas in Asia Minor to Macedonia. Paul received a lot of persecution in Macedonia. When Paul's preaching in the synagogue in Thessalonica brought him significant success, the Jews became jealous. They started a riot. This forced Paul and Silas to leave for Berea. But when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that Paul was in Berea, then they sent agitators there. So Paul left Berea and went on to Athens, while Silas and Timothy stayed behind in Berea. The Jewish opposition to Christianity was so fierce in Thessalonica, and Paul was so concerned about this brand new fledgling congregation and how it would stand up against persecution. So he sent Timothy, uh, so when Timothy and Silas joined Paul in Athens, then Paul told Timothy, go back to Thessalonica, encourage and strengthen the congregation there, and Timothy sends words to Paul, and Paul is encouraged that not only had these baby Christians remained faithful in the face of persecution, but they're, as a congregation, sending out workers and spreading the gospel into all of Macedonia. Uh, So this is probably one of Paul's earliest letters that he writes.
1: And uh, giving that historical context really does help a lot when when you hear or read the words uh, because it is such a miracle that just think of what they saw. Uh, there's, there's this missionary and his, his mission team, but those are just you know three, four individuals, and and then all of your friends and neighbors are uh, in an uproar, rioting around them, and and talking about what horrible uh, troublemakers these guys are, and and then y- that you still have. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, the gift of faith from the Holy Spirit uh, to, to persevere and to keep uh, gathering as a church uh, in Thessalonica, even after you've seen that, um, it really does testify to the, the miracle and the power of the Holy Spirit that, that kept their faith alive. In verse 2...
0: Paul says, we always give thanks to God for all of you as we make mention of you in our prayers because we constantly remember before God our Father, your work produced by faith, your labor produced by love, and your patient endurance produced by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says that he always thanked God for them. He continually remembered them in his prayers. He was gratefully uh, he was deeply grateful for the gifts that God had given them, and then he was able to be their pastor. And you know, Pastor Layton and I, we have uh, prayers like that too, thanking God for uh, the people that we serve. And I think of just this past weekend uh, that Thursday night. I took about an hour of our hour and a half that I spent with my public school catechism students, the six of them, and we talked about. Uh, Shoreland Lutheran High School, our area Lutheran High School here, because one of our young ladies who is an eighth grader, I was blessed to baptize her two months ago. And now talking to her with her parents and her grandmother, and her grandmother's a member, to encourage this young lady to not go to a public school here in Racine, where they cannot talk about Jesus, but go to our high school, along with, we're blessed to have uh, 15 other confirmands this year. so that And they're all going to Shoreland, so that they have, she has other young people to encourage and be encouraged by and to hear God's word every day. Uh, And it was really cool that after our conversation, uh, when she got in the vehicle, she said, yeah, I want to go to Shoreland. Not knowing anything about Shoreland beforehand, this Sunday, I'm blessed to baptize uh, a few-month-old infant to bring that little boy into God's kingdom through the sacrament of baptism. And then this afternoon, spending several hours in the hospital with a number of our families as one of our saints was ushered into heaven uh, by God's angels. To be there to give that family comfort, to talk to them about how this saint was a good and faithful servant to the Lord. That he was faithful to the Lord only because God had been faithful to him in taking his sins away. Here is a man, for my 16 years at this congregation, he and the rest of his family in the eighth pew from the front of the church. I know exactly which pew is going to be empty from now on. Uh, And I thank God for him. And I thank God for other members uh, that we lift them up in prayers just as we pray that our members lift us up in their prayers.
1: In verse 10, uh, there actually is kind of a little tie over from uh, the prophet Joel that uh, I, I just now realized. Uh, it says uh, that Jesus is the one who is going to rescue us from the coming wrath. So if you think about the day of the Lord and the locusts and, and God's judgment, uh, Jesus is the one who rescues us from that coming wrath. Um, also, as you're just talking about the good and faithful servants uh, who have gone on and and received their crown of victory, um, it, it makes me think about how Paul was uh, complimenting the Thessalonians, uh, especially in uh, verses 8 and 9, that um, the they're doing good things and that they're worthy of commendation. And I think that we shouldn't forget about that to encourage good works, to encourage good deeds. Yes, it's true. They are not the thing that set us right with God. They do not justify us. It's not why he forgives us. But it is okay to talk about the good things that people are doing and to encourage them to do it even more. And if you're worried at all that somebody might, uh start to get a little too much uh, into work's righteousness, uh, then just go back to uh, what the uh, a major theme of this chapter is, which is election um, dear brothers, loved by God, we know that God has chosen you, uh, and so it's it's nothing that we've ever done that God chose us. He chose us simply because he is gracious and and chose his his children to become believers
0: and Scripture says he has chosen us for good works. And Paul does commend these Thessalonian Christians as being role models. And again, I think of people that Christians that are role models. Uh, One of our saints that I also visited in the hospital, thankfully, he I'm able to go back into the hospital. And he was three rooms down from the saint who was ushered into heaven today. And here is a man that I had a devotion with on Monday before he had heart surgery. And here he said he was thankful that he had COVID over Christmas because the COVID put him in the hospital where they then found out that he had this heart issue. And so he was grateful for that. Uh, the, the quiet father and husband who puts in 60 hours of work in the week, he comes home, he cooks meals for his family on the weekends, he's going to his kids' games, then goes, and he goes to church and he shovels snow, he turns on the lights, he ushers for worship service. The mother, who tucks in her children at bed each evening and and prays for and with her, her children. And other people, uh, whether it's in the church, the community, their family, they see these Christian models. Uh, and we pray that they model their Christian faith and then thank God for these faithful saints like Paul did.
1: Well, I uh, just would, I I don't know if you have any more to say about this chapter, but uh, I I think I've pretty well exhausted my thoughts on it. Um, I just like to throw in my little tagline from uh, Matthew's gospel that, uh, blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Here you go. So uh, this next
0: week. Uh, We're going to spend time in Thessalonica, so read or listen to 1 Thessalonians chapters 2 through 5, and then the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians. Stay thirsty, my friends, and then drink deeply from the water of life.